morning, everybody. I hope you guys are enjoying this wonderful weather we're having. It is a phenomenon that a lot of historians are calling summer. Am I saying that right? Yes, summer. Uh, but it's, it's really wonderful to finally be out there to get a little bit of warmth, a little bit of sun. I'm really, really excited um, about this morning because we are kicking started a, a new series of series for this year. In fact, this is going to be our major sort of push for the year. It's called Everyday Faith. And this basically boils down to a simple question. Is faith or your engagement with God, your trust in God, your understanding of who God is, is that part of your life? Or is it the thing that controls and permeates and, and is centered your entire life around? If we look at this, the way that we sort of build our lives, the way we sort of think about our lives, a lot of people, I think, have, if, if you are a Christian, you may have this like, okay, so Sunday morning is, is my time to sort of engage in Christianity. And then uh, throughout the week, maybe, if, if, if I get onto it, uh, I'll have a quiet time in the morning, and maybe I'll pray in the evening. Maybe I'll go to a small group. And so I've got these little pockets of time where I engage my Christianness. Um, and then I'll also have other things going on in my life. I might go to work or go to school and I might hang out with friends and all that sort of stuff. And so it might be an important part of life, but it's just like one of the many things that I'm thinking about in my life. Or on the other hand, is it something that defines and controls every area of life? I am a Christian at work. I am a Christian at school. I am a Christian in every moment of every day. And I believe that what God wants for us is when we become a Christian, when we say we are following Him, He wants to bury deep right into the very core of who we are and then let that flow out into every area. And so I believe that as Christians, what we should be working towards is letting faith change everything about who we are, which may seem a little scary. It may seem a little bit... Um, I don't know, like, God, you kind of taken over my life here. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I don't know whether, you know, you should just stay in your lane and, and, and kind of let me do my other things as well. But I think when we look at who God is and the, what he wants to do in our lives, I'm reminded of a really cool verse in John chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about his people and he's talking about Satan who is coming in. He's this thief that comes to only steal and kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is what Jesus wants for us. I'm having a little trouble with the mic. Do I need to swap mics or are we okay? We're okay. Good. Okay. Um, so this is what he wants for us. He wants for us not to just have life, but have life to the full. He wants us to experience the best of what it means to be human, the way he designed us, the way he created us to be which means he wants to, us to experience that full life in every area of life. He wants that to be our experience. And so what that means is we need to give all of ourselves to him. It means that we need to allow him to permeate every corner of our existence. Which brings up another question. 
if Jesus, if, if my faith in Jesus, if my trust in him impacts every area of my life, what does that look like? Like, what does it tangibly, practically look like for me to be a Christian at work? What does it mean for me to be a Christian at school? What does it mean for me to be a Christian in my family? What does it mean for me to be doing these things? What does it mean for Jesus to have ownership and leadership and lordship, as we, we kind of use in church circles, over every single piece of my life? And it's a good question. So good a question, in fact, that I'm going to spend the entire year answering it. What I want to do is I want us to spend time this year asking those questions. What does faith impact? How does faith impact each area of life? What does the Bible say? What does God say about how I am in these areas? And so we're going to have a whole series of series. So you're going to you're going to need to get used to this graphic because you're going to be seeing it a lot this year. And so throughout the year, we'll take chunks to look at how God impacts different areas of life. And the first one I want to do is I want to explore something a little bit more foundational. So this is not a specific area, but some building blocks that God has given us in order to live that life. Michelle, I was just really great to hear your happy days thing about wanting to sort of drill down into God a little bit more and to, to, to let Him bring that faith out. This is what we're going to be doing today. This, is, uh, this year, this is what we're going to be doing. And we're going to be helping each other uh, do that as we go through the year. So to start off, I want to start with some building blocks. These are the things I believe God has given us to help us live that life. So these are the things we can collect together, we can use to help understand what is God wanting me to do? How does God want me to understand these different areas of my life? Some of them are going to make a lot of sense, like today's, um, uh, but there might be a couple in there that might surprise you. Uh, there's a couple of aspects, ingredients in life that might surprise you. All right, well, the first in the series, um, what I want to do, it's the first building block as you live your life, is the Bible. It's Scripture. It's the book that I did not bring this morning. <laughs> you know what? Excuse me just for a second. Um, so I didn't bring my Bible. Um, it's kind of embarrassing for me. Can you just pretend like you're holding on to it? Okay, just hold on. Actually, I do believe I have my Bible. Someone was borrowing it earlier. Who? Was, oh, Ty, that's right. Thank you, Ty. Appreciate that. So we're going to be talking about this book today. That was not pre-planned at all. Uh, this is a very popular book. In fact, you may know that it is far and away the best-selling book of all time. Uh, they've estimated about 5 billion copies have been sold around the world in a myriad of different languages. Number two, by the way, just as a little trivia, is a communist sort of manifesto book written by Mao Zedong. 1.1 billion copies sold. I'm pretty sure he forced a lot of people to buy that and read that. So I don't know if that counts. But this is still like five times as good as that. Um, so if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably come across the idea that this is a book you should be reading. Uh, you've probably come across the idea of the Bible as important to the Christian faith. Or maybe not. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't know what it is. So instead of relying on assumptions, what I want us to do as we engage with what the Bible is and how to get it in our lives, what I want to do is I want us to ask four questions. I want us to ask a series of four questions 
that will help us unlock the Bible in our lives? And the first question is, do I know what it is? Do I know what this book actually is? I mean, first of all, it's, it's not a book per se, is it? I mean, it's actually more of an anthology. It's a collection of books, 66 different books written by a whole bunch of different, well, over 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, none of which are English, by the way, and over 1,600 years this book was written. And yet, it is also a single coherent story. Aside from anything else, it's a literary masterpiece. It is an incredible piece of writing, but it's also more than that. And I know a lot of people have different feelings and ideas and thoughts about what this Bible is. I want to sort of throw it out there for a second. If anyone has like a word that they would describe the Bible based on on, on how you feel about it, how would you describe the Bible? Sorry? Miracle. Yes, miracle. Yeah, very cool. I think you said very good. I was like, okay, yeah, that's great. Michelle? Guide to life. Very good. I think you looked at my notes, but that's all right. Anyone else? Any sort of words that come to mind, Ty? Revelation, which is also ironically a book in the book. So, yeah, but a revelation as in God's revelation to us, yeah? Anyone else? Got a word? Doesn't have to be a positive word, yes? Encouragement, very good. Practical, very good. Ruah, you just looked up the Maori word for Bible, didn't you? Oh, the wind, breath, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yep. Wind, breath, and spirit of God. There's a lot of very cool imagery in there, which I'm not going to have a chance to unpack today. Thank you for opening that can of worms. All right. Anyone else? Yeah? Living word. Very cool. So there's a few, there's a lot of different views. We, a lot of people have a different idea. So what I wanted to do today is just to kind of build three pictures Three um, pictures that are pulled from the pages of the Bible itself. Three ways the Bible describes itself that might help us understand what it is that we're reading. And the first one um, is a guidebook. And this is, Michelle very nicely said, a guide to life. It's a guidebook. Listen to the words that uh, in, in the book of 2 Timothy, which I'm not even going to read in my Bible. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. All right, this is probably the most famous self-description of the Bible, right? If you've been around the Bible for a while, you may have heard people say, this is what the Bible says about itself. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of people kind of look at this and like, this is, this is the proof that this is from God. And other people look at this and like, yeah, but that's not really what he's saying, is it? He's talking about the Old Testament, right, when he says Scripture. And it's true from Paul's perspective, the word Scripture referred to the Old Testament, which is actually interesting then that Paul thinks the Old Testament is actually very useful for all of this stuff, even in the time of Jesus. So that's, that's a big plug for the Old Testament. But there's also evidence, too, that the New Testament writers had a sense that what they were writing was also part of what God was doing with Scripture. And then a couple of hundred years later, when it was all gathered together, they were widely accepted as being words from God as well. So this passage highlights a couple of really important things. First is 
It is inspired by God. Now, it is written by human authors, 40 of them, in fact. But while it was written by them, it was inspired. Some um, Bible uses the word God breathed. He gave his breath to these words. If we think of the Bible as an anthology, you could think of God as the editor, but a very hands-on editor who makes sure that he's got exactly what he wants in those words. So some of it, he dictates to people, like in the books of prophecy, he says, look, go and say this and then write this down. Very easy to figure out. Other books, he might sort of give ideas to people as they write their own, so you can see a little bit of their personalities coming through as writers, but there's all inspired by God. So basically what it means is, inspired by God means that this book has everything that God wants in it. Every word is what God wants it to be. Does that make sense? All right, the second one is it's useful. All right? In fact, it has everything that we need to live a life worthy of God, to live the life that God wants us to live. He has put stuff in there to help guide us, to lead us forward in life. So guidebook is the first path. We can see how important that is. Second one is it's also a bit of a biography. Have a listen to the words of Luke when he's starting to write his uh, story about Jesus. He says, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, um, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. All right, so it's not just a practical guidebook. It's a story. It's a story of what God has been doing from the beginning of creation through until now. He's telling us about who he is, and he's telling us about who we are. And most importantly, he's telling us about how he has interacted and is interacting with us and how we interact with him. So there is a, a great story here. Why do we have this story? So that we can better understand who this God is that we are worshiping. Why we're gathered here on a Sunday morning. Why is it that we sing songs to this God? This book tells us who he is. It gives us a story that shows who he is and what he has done. All right, and the last one, the last picture is the most interesting and probably the least understood, and someone mentioned this as well. This is a living sword. Have a listen to the words in Hebrews. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You know what's really interesting about the idea of the Word of God is that in the Bible it describes it as several different things. The Word is the power of God, which again, we're starting to get some of the stuff you were talking about, this breath and life. This is the power of God that created creation. Jesus is the Word of God. He is described as the Word of God, and yet Scripture is also described as the Word of God. It is His proclamation, His words to us. And so while they are words on a page, and this is just pages and ink, the words in them are infused with God's power. And when we read them, when we really read them, they have the power to change our entire life. They have the power to shift us and move us because God's Spirit is moving with it. It is using those words 
to change us from the inside out. Painfully? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> but effectively? Absolutely. All right, so we can see this as a, a picture of a, a guidebook, a biography, and a living sword. But we don't always get that powerful experience out of it because we don't always ask the second question. This is the tricky question. Do I trust it? Do I trust the Bible? And I'm not going to make assumptions here and say that you do just because you're sitting here. It's a fair question. There's some stuff in here that's pretty weird. All right, we've got virgins having babies. We've got nine-foot giants. We've got people walking on top of waves. You've got people living inside a fish for three days. Not a great vacation package. But not only is that, there's parts in that Bible that are easy to accept actually happened, but harder to accept why they happened. Like when God tells his people to wipe out an entire civilization. It's in there. That's hard to accept. And so a lot of people struggle to accept the, the Bible as being from God. And they're like, I don't know if I really trust that this is exactly what it says it is. Maybe it's a good book. Maybe there's some great stuff in there. Maybe there's some really helpful, practical advice that we can use. But is it really God's words? I mean, is it really inspired? Is it exactly what God wants us to do? do we really, can we really trust everything in that book? It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. And yet, it also still remains, this book remains the only objective understanding of who God is that we have. This is our picture of God. If you remove the Bible or if you remove its trustworthiness, you start down a path of not understanding exactly who God is or what he wants from us or how to live the lives that he wants us to live. And we start relying on our own personal experiences, which are very powerful and, 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 and important, but also kind of subjective, right? I mean, we can admit that our own emotional uh, understanding and our own sort of cognitive understanding can be flawed at times. My wife will tell you, I'm very flawed in my thinking and my feeling, often. She's not here, so it's okay. Um, but we, and so if we rely on these things... We can start walking down paths of not really having confidence of knowing who God is. So that makes this question about this book very important. Now, what I'm not going to say is that you just need to buckle up, trust it, and move forward. All right? I'm not going to say ignore your doubts, bury them, ignore your questions, don't ask those. This is not a place for that. God just wants you to trust this book and move forward. Because I do not believe that. I believe questioning is important. I believe that doubts are real and that we need to sort of explore this. But this is what I don't want us to do because it is so important. We don't want to say, I don't know whether I trust the Bible or not. I'm just going to sit there with that. We don't want to stay in that place. I believe God calls us to move towards trusting his book or away from it. He talks a lot about being lukewarm and 
and that sort of thing. It's like, rather you hot or cold, <laughs> make up your mind. Because this book is the gateway for our understanding and our trust in who God is and who we are. So if you have questions, great. If you have doubts, that's fine. Let's explore them. Let's explore them together. I love having chats. You want to come and talk to me? If you want to explore this with me, email me. Send me an email. We'll set up a chat. We'll come. We'll have lunch together. I enjoy eating lunch. And we could talk over some things. We can ask some questions so that you can have some confidence. We're not going to get to 100% proof. God doesn't give us that, which is really unfortunate, but he just doesn't because he wants an element of faith, an element of trust. But we can explore the why we trust Why do we put our faith in that last little bit that we don't understand? Because of the stuff we do understand. So we can talk about what it is, why I have confidence in the Bible. Why I believe you can too, but let's explore this together, yeah? All right, we're moving on. The third question that's really important after you establish if you trust it is, do you know how to read it? It's interesting, as important and popular a book as the Bible is, most people just kind of ignore it. Uh, There was a study in in 2017 in New Zealand that found that while nearly 60% of the population owned a Bible, and yes, I do actually own a Bible, um, it's just at home, Um, so while nearly 60% of the population owned a Bible, only 7% of the population read it every day. You can throw in another 5% who cracked the cover once a week. Now, here's the, here's the real thing. Even those who identify themselves as Christian, okay, so if you just take the Christians of the country, which was about 30% um, as the time of people who identified as Christian, if you just take them, only 44% of them read their Bibles at least once a month. Less than half of all Christian associated people, people who identify as Christian, would even open their Bibles once a month. Now, I don't know where you fall in those numbers, and, and look, I'm not here to, to judge or anything like that, and I recognize the previous question does impact this question. If we don't trust it, we're less likely to read it. But I now know I have my own issues here, but if we recognize the importance of this book, if we recognize that this is God's Word, if we do trust that it is, then we need to find a way to bring our engagement with the Bible in line with that reality. Does that make sense? Like, if we're going to trust the Bible, we should actually read it. That's probably something. But I think one of the reasons why we don't, why it often holds us back, is that we don't actually know where to begin. We don't know how to deal with this book. It's not a book you start on page one and read through to page 700 or whatever at the end because it just, you kind of get bogged down in the middle of Leviticus or something like that. I mean, let's be honest, there's some pretty dry material in the first portion of the Bible there. And so we start at the beginning, and it starts with creation. It gets very exciting, and then we sort of, sort of slog down in a little bit. And we give up because it's too much. It's too, too big. It's a huge book. We don't know what to do. Now, I can't spend as much time here as I would like to on, on how to do this, but I've got a couple of resources I want to share with you that we want to make available. The first is the Field Guide to the Bible. Some of you already have this, and we've given a few of these away already. Uh, This is a fantastic little handbook to the Bible. So if you don't have much um, engagement with the Bible, if you don't have much understanding of the Bible, if it's new to you or whatever, this is a great place to start because it tells you what it is, how to understand it, how to engage with it. It's got this cool timeline about how it all flows. 
It's got a um, little blurb about each book, some of the different um, genres, things like that. This is a fantastic square one starting point. Or it's also a good resource and reference if you've been with the Bible for a while, but you're still a little bit confused about how it all works together. We're going to make these available to you for free because we very much want you to engage with Scripture. So we have a pile of these with Whitney out on the welcome desk. Hey, Nate. How's it going? Yep, cool. Um, Whitney's got a bunch of these. Um, if you want one, grab one. Um, if, you, if you run out of these, because we've got about 10, I think, of these, so we can get more. Don't let the lack of pile of books stop you. Write your name down. We will get some more, and we will give those to you because these are fantastic. The other resource is uh, probably the next step. This is Bible Study Methods. It's just a little booklet we put together. It's um, shamelessly ripped from uh, the book Living by the Book, which is much bigger and harder to read. So we sort of um, skimmed it all down into just a little booklet here. And this is a way of taking the Bible and getting something out of it. So how do we read it to actually understand what it says? How do we actually apply it? All of that sort of stuff. Um, so these are also available for free at the Welcome Desk. And again, we just printed a few of them. So if you want another one and it's not there, write your name down. We will print one and get it to you. We also have digital copies of that one. Just a, a quick note on that, the digital copy. If it doesn't work, it's a link in the Bible app. Yes, it but is. if it doesn't work the first time, try again. Most of you, it'll work the first time. Uh, if that doesn't work the second time, Copy and paste the link into your browser. You're welcome. Ah. And if you're still struggling with that, just email us and we can sort of figure out a way of getting it to you. So those are available for free to help you get a little bit more out about how to read this book, the Bible. Okay. So three really important questions. Do I know what it is? Do I trust it? Do I know how to read it? And that will finally get us hopefully to a place where we open our Bibles and we actually start reading it. But it's not the last question. The last question is, do I follow it? Do I actually follow what is written in the Bible? Have a listen to what Jesus was saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, is, a, is wise, like a person who built a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and, and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind... You know what? It's too soon for that one. Let me, let's try a different one. Let's go to James. James says in chapter 1, But don't just listen to God's words. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word, and, and by listen, I think reading applies in the same way, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, which again, I think covers Scripture in its entirety, the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I mean, it seems obvious, but simply reading words doesn't do anything. We've got to put them in the practice. A guidebook is no use to you if you don't follow the guidelines. A biography of who God is is pointless if we don't let those realities infiltrate our mind and our heart and let them push our lives forward, let them change the way we think and the way we act. And we talk about it being a, a living sword. And, and God does not need our permission, to, by the way, to change us. He doesn't need us to, to give him permission to come into our lives and, and, and change us. But I do believe he gives us that choice of holding him back. 
I do believe that he gives us that choice. Like when we read scripture and he's ready to convict us. And we, if we hold back, I think he lets us. So we need to engage with. We need to jump in. Not because he's not strong enough, but because he's waiting for us to invite him into our lives. He's waiting for us to, to sort of use the words he's given us to change our lives. All right. So what's your next step? Where are you sitting with this? You don't have to answer this question. But think about where you sit in this spot. Do you know what the Bible is? Do you need to explore that further? Do you trust it? Or do you need to start asking some questions? Do a little digging. Have a little conversation. Do you know how to read it? Or or do you need to kind of get a little bit of help? We all do. Or maybe you're reading the Bible. Maybe you trust it. Maybe you know it, but you just need to kind of do the things that are in the Bible. Whatever your place is, wherever you're at, I recommend taking your next step. I recommend getting involved in the Bible because all of this amazing stuff, everything that we did in worship today, it was a great worship set. It was really cool to see this picture of, of this, the throne of God and, and how we're going like, to like worship Jesus and the story of a lamb that was slain that is strong like a lion who's worthy of showing us the future. This is a beautiful picture. We get that picture from the Bible. He has told us about that because he wants us to understand him better. So let's read. Let's find out who he is. And that is going to be a great building block for allowing faith to change every area of our lives. All right, let me, let me pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for giving us the Bible. Lord, we may have questions. We may not fully trust it. There's been a lot of people who, who sort of have questions about the Bible and there's people, scholars and, and really pointy-headed, brainy people who have real issues with the Bible. And, and we have these a lot of voices about whether or not this is something that we should read and trust. Lord, help us find answers to that. Help us find the confidence to engage with this as your words to us. Help us to know how to pull that out how to take your words and apply them in our lives and help us to actually do it. And then show us how you are going to take those words and revolutionize our lives. That's in your name we pray. Amen.